We have ended a sermon series that we had done on Joshua. We actually started the year with something we called stop. I know because we have a big stop sign still sitting in my garage that we use for lawn chair church, and we transitioned it from what it originally was, which was stop overthinking it, to now it's like stop and don't run us over when we're in the parking lot worshiping. Then we went into our Joshua series as we looked at the book of Joshua and we used the word go. That Joshua and the children of Israel were told to go, to take the land. It's the same thing we're told in our own lives. Go. Do the things that God's called you to in life. Know that God's with you. Know that we can go by faith. Learn when we mess up. The process of going isn't just blindly going forward, but it's going by faith. And so the third part we're doing is called listen. And we're using Old Testament prophets, and we're also going to look at John the Baptist, who's really the last prophet before the coming of Jesus. And the reason we're using them is, one, so that we can learn to listen to the biblical prophets. You're going to be introduced to 13 prophets. Some of them you may not know, and some of them you may know quite well. But in that, we will hear how to listen to biblical prophecy, but we will also learn how to distinguish voices today, because that's something that we as Christians need to learn to do. There are a lot of voices out there who are telling us that they're prophets, but how do we know who to listen to and who to tune out? And when I even say the word of prophet, what do you think of? Just kind of take a moment and think, what does prophet mean to you? You'll maybe find this interesting. 25% of the Bible is prophetic literature. One quarter of it. Books like Isaiah, Jeremiah, the minor prophets like Micah, Nahum, Jonah, Jesus' sermons, and other things that are written even in, in the letters of Paul, and of course things like the book of Revelation. You find prophecy and, and prophetic words right from the book of Genesis right through the book of Revelation. And so as I was thinking of this whole idea of prophets and introducing these 13 prophets, we're actually going to have prophet cards. You get a little trading card starting next week. We started thinking they'd only be for the kids, and I thought, hey, the adults want them too. So each week you're, you're going to get a card with the name of a prophet on it, an old picture from the Middle Ages of a painting, and then some words about the prophet and, and some Bible passages. So we can really start to learn who these people are in Scripture. But when you think of a prophet, and when I ask that question, it made me go back to Merriam-Webster and say, what is just the dictionary definition of a prophet? And listen to what the dictionary says. One who utters divine-inspired revelations. I like the next part of that. The writer of a prophetic book in the Bible. And that's certainly something that we would all concur with. One regarded by a group of followers as the final revealer of God's will. One gifted with more than ordinary spiritual and moral insight. Notice how far down the list the next one comes. One who foretells future events. An effective and leading spokesperson for a cause. You see, the reason I noted that that came down lower on the, the list is because that's often what people think of when they think of a prophet. They think, oh, that's somebody who's going to tell me what's going to happen tomorrow, or somebody who's going to predict the future. And we are definitely going to see that, that prophetic literature in the scripture has predictive things. There's many of the prophets in the Old Testament who foretold the coming of Jesus. 
There are prophecies that talk about the end of time. There's all sorts of things like that. But as I learned back in Bible college, way back in the days of Fort Wayne Bible College, back in the late 70s, early 80s, and then it was confirmed the exact same thing when I became a candidate for ministry here in New England. They both use the same quote, a prophet is one who foretells and foretells. I hope you caught that. Forth tells, tells forth God's word, speaks to us God's word for today. In both cases, they reminded us that the, the act of preaching is a prophetic act because we're taking scripture and helping us hear it. That's biblical prophecy. That's speaking God's words. Hopefully, we don't walk out of here and hear Pastor Stan's words. We hear what the scripture says to us. So we're receiving God's word for our life so that God can speak to us. The vast majority of biblical prophecy was foretelling, not foretelling. When I say 25% of the Bible is prophetic, that doesn't mean that 25% of the Bible predicts future events. It's these prophets who are speaking forth God's words so people could change and make the adjustments in their life and hear what God's call is for us today. You see, they didn't so much want to predict the future as to change the present. Hear the difference? You can predict the future or you can help people change the present so that the course of our lives is changed. For instance, let's look at a famous prophetic word, which is out of the book of Jeremiah. I'm going to look here at Jeremiah chapter 18, verses 5 to 10. You do not need to turn to it, but I will be reading it. It's a time in which the prophet Jeremiah goes to the potter's house. So you think of it, he goes to a place where they're making cups and bowls and, and different pottery. And as Jeremiah is there, we hear these words, that the word of the Lord came to me. So Jeremiah is saying, I'm hearing what God is saying to me as I'm here watching that potter over there forming the clay. O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord? Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up or break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from it evil, I will relent to the disaster that I intended to do to it. And if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good thing that I intended to do to it. Now therefore say to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord, Behold, I am shaping disaster against you and devising a plan against you. Return everyone from his evil ways and amend your ways and your deeds. God, through Jeremiah, was not predicting disaster, but was seeking a change in behavior. Very different. Return everyone, the prophet says, from your evil ways and amend your ways and your deeds. It's like I do as a pastor. I'll be working with somebody, and they're making bad choices in their life, and they'll say to me, Pastor Stan, is it going to be okay if I keep doing this? And I'll say, well, I wouldn't. You know, the things you're doing is sort of the same thing over and over, and you keep getting yourself into trouble. 
Insanity is sort of doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. If you want things to go better, it's time to make a change. And so we'll work on making a change. Now, am I predicting that they're going to make the change or not make the change? No, the person gets to choose that themselves. But the prophetic word becomes, if you continue to do self-destructive behavior, it's going to lead into some pretty bad things. I was thinking about my senior year in high school. I'd worked hard along with my friends on being basketball players. Our organized um, team sports started when we were in sixth grade. We were little kids who they put basketball, basketballs in our hands. And the first game that we played was at halftime of a high school varsity game. And then they put us on a team. And, and we worked hard throughout the years so that by the senior year in high school, I was a starter on our varsity basketball team along with my good friends. But we had just lost, believe it or not, I know you're going to be shocked, to Milner. Now, where is Milner, you all ask? Well, you can go look at a map, and you'll find out. Our coach was less than pleased with us. That was a loss we should not have had happen. I do not remember everything that happened on the bus. I know there were some words that he said that probably should not be repeated here, so I won't. And I know at some times he was looking at us just going, and we thought, wow, he's so mad he can't even talk. But he did communicate this to us, and I will quote it the best I can. He said, I have never had a team play so poorly. In fact, never in my time as a coach has a Weinmere team ever lost a Milner. Tonight, every one of you, think about whether you want to be on this team. If all you're going to do is go through the motions, I will replace every one of you as starters with freshmen and sophomores and start building for next year. It's your choice. Prophet Coach Growth had spoken. Did he tell me that I was losing my starting spot? Yes and no. He was seeking a change in behavior. He was letting me know what's going to happen if I keep living that way. That's what prophets do. They want the change in our lives. And so, so much of what it is is about learning to live different. We changed and we won our conference. We won our district and we ended up coming in third place in regionals and only lost to one of the top teams in the state. You see, prophets speak truth. If God is going to speak through a prophet and is going to be something to shake us up, it's not just going to be to shake us up for the purpose of shaking us up. It's so that we can make the changes in our life or people can make the changes in their lives so that we can live the way God wants us to live. Our task will be to learn about some biblical prophets. We're not going to look at all of them, but we're going to look at 13. And we'll discover that they aren't only harsh, but they actually have a balanced role, because sometimes that's the other thing that we think about prophets. We say, I get it. Prophets are people who come in and predict gloom and doom to us if we don't make changes in our life, but that's actually not true. Prophets comfort the afflicted while afflicting us when we are comfortable. They comfort the afflicted while also afflicting us when we're comfortable because sometimes like our basketball team or like with Jeremiah we get comfortable a good example of comforting the afflicted comes from Isaiah Isaiah chapter 40 verses 1 and 2 it's a wonderful passage it's often read in December getting ready for Christmas it's a prophecy about the coming Messiah but it's also a prophecy about comfort It's so important that when Handel wrote his Messiah, 
Go listen to the beginning of the Messiah. You have this beautiful music, and in comes this gorgeous tenor voice singing the words of Isaiah, preparing in the Messiah for the coming of Jesus. But listen to the words that are spoken. Comfort. Comfort, my people, says God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Isaiah speaks comfort for God's people who've been in exile. The history is that they've been in Babylon and, and life has been difficult and they don't need something being piled on. Have you ever felt like you're in exile? Have you ever had a moment in your life when things are difficult? We don't need somebody to come to us and say, well, you know, you got exactly what you deserved. You know, come on, what's going on here? Had you not lived that way, you wouldn't be where you are. That's not what the prophet speaks. The prophet speaks comfort. Not only comfort for those who are in exile, but tender words for those in Jerusalem who went through war. And then a double portion of God's grace and forgiveness for anyone who's done wrong. Think of how relevant those words not only are in Isaiah's day, not only are in predicting Jesus, but also for us. People today are going through a tough time. I don't know if you've noticed this, but we're in the middle of a pandemic. We have wildfires out in California and out west. We've had a major hurricane who went through. We had a troop withdrawal in Afghanistan that's led to, by some predictions, 100,000 displaced people. Families have lost jobs. I heard from somebody recently who had a good job and just was laid off. They had been working up until July, and they had a job that they had really, really cared about, and now we're facing unemployment. A prophet wants us to be comforted when we go through tough times. I had a funeral this last week for a woman who was 72 years old. She'd been, born, she'd been married 55 years. Do you hear that? She got married when she was 17. Her husband and family, they need comfort. They need people to speak kind words to them and words of encouragement. That's what biblical prophets do. The biblical prophets comforted people so they knew that God cares about us when we go through tough times. When we're hurting, we don't need to be on the internet and, and turn on a Facebook quote to have somebody say something shaming to us or have us say something harsh to someone else. And then this whole idea of a double portion of grace when we've messed up. We talk about Jesus' forgiveness. It's really Jesus' double forgiveness. Like we say, oh, can Jesus forgive that sin? Well, Isaiah is saying not only did he forgive it, he doubly forgave it. Had you done it twice, he would have messed. He still would have given that grace to you. So the simple question becomes, who are you hearing speak to you in the hurting world that we live? Think of how we should be hearing words through a biblical lens. Who stirs you up to change your behavior like a good coach? Do you have people that speak those words? Because you know what? We do mess up. There are times when we need to be encouraged to make changes. Or who's speaking comforting words to you when you go through a tough time. Because if all the voices that you ever hear are those who are piling it on and making you and me feel worse about things that we've done, that's not a biblical prophet. That's not the purpose. The purpose of prophecy is for God's word to come to us to understand that Jesus is active in our lives, that we have a Savior who died for us, that we are forgiven, and we have a bright future. Amen? Amen. 
That's how God wants us to live our lives because the Holy Spirit is not working in our lives to make us feel bad about a decision we made five years ago, but to get us through it and to get forgiven and to move on and to live a better lives. But how do we know who to listen to? Does that mean just anybody who says something harsh to us at a time when we kind of need a proverbial push means that that's a person who's a prophet? Or does it mean that anytime somebody tells us that we can have the moon, that that means that they're a prophet? Absolutely not. We need to have a discerning voice. We need to know who to listen to and what is a true voice versus what the Bible says is a false prophet. I think of a time back in in the 1990s when my seminary, Gordon Conwell, made the front page of the Wall Street Journal for all the wrong reasons. You see, there was a Christian investment brokers who had promised to Christians that they were investing a different way. Not only were they godly and Christ-centered, but they could get you returns that nobody else could. Well, they weren't really a Christian investment broker. They were really a Christian swindling, and they weren't even very Christian, and they really weren't Christians. And Gordon Conwell lost $10 million. Now, interestingly, at the same time, my parent-in-laws had gotten involved with that same group of people. And this was before any of the news had broken, but it just didn't seem right to Regina and myself. So we contacted them and said, run, run as far away as you can. And they did. And fortunately, my parent-in-law's life savings was saved. They would have lost it all had they invested their money with these people. Now, they had promised them encouragement. Hey, you can have amazing things. Does that make somebody a prophet? Absolutely not. Just because somebody's promising us good things or things that we want does not make them a prophet. In contrast to that, my mother had had a heart attack. And this also was back in the 1990s. And I was at Miriam Hospital up in, in Providence. And I was standing outside her door and I was crying. I thought my mom was dying. And her doctor came out and said, Stan, what's wrong? And I said, my mom's not going to make it. And he said, why do you say that? I said, I just heard the report on my, my mom's health. And her doctor smiled and said, your mom's going to be OK. She's going to get through this. I said, you can guarantee? He says, no, I can't guarantee you anything. You know, I've learned that. But I can tell you, she got through the heart attack. She doesn't need your heart. She's an 80-some-year-old woman, and she's got a fairly sedentary life. And her heart will grow new vessels, and it will heal, and she will get through this. Now, he spoke words of peace and comfort into my life, not based on, hey, I can get you a billion dollars, but based on truth and, and knowing my mom's health condition. That's what prophets do. They speak to us true words of comfort, things that not are, oh, I think that everything will go well in your life, but listen, God is with you, and God is patient, and God is caring, and God will get you through every situation. But how do we know who to listen to? How do we know whether or not we're listening to something that is just wishful thinking or whether or not we're listening to something that is really someone who's speaking words to us that we know are true? Well, that got me thinking about my son David. Last week, David gave us a quote. I didn't want to be up, you know, 
shown up by my son, so I decided I had to come up with a quote for this week. Here's my quote. When in doubt, listen to Jesus, Pastor Stan. <laughs> when in doubt, listen to Jesus. Because the Bible has Jesus' words for us, and Jesus teaches you and me how to be discerning in who to listen to. And that got me looking at Matthew chapter 22. You see, it's a time in Jesus' life where religious people are trying to trick him. And I know that happens a lot of times with our Savior. And it starts with these Sadducees who don't believe in the resurrection. And they come to Jesus and they say, okay, Jesus, since you have it all figured out and you think that there's a heaven and we don't, let me ask you this. A woman gets married and her husband died. And then the next husband dies when she remarries. And then she marries again and that one dies. And she has seven husbands. And all of them died when she goes to heaven. Which one's going to be her husband? You can almost see Jesus have a twinkle in his eye as he smiles and says back, ha, silly you, there's neither marriage nor giving in marriage in heaven. Okay, fine. So that one's by, and now along come the Pharisees. And the Pharisees ask a different question. They ask a question to try to trick Jesus into answering something about the rules and the laws. And they say to him, what is the greatest commandment? Now, please understand, Jesus is in a bind here because that's kind of like asking somebody who's your favorite grandchild or who's your favorite child. Like, you don't want to answer that question because no matter what, you think, hey, I'm going to get myself in trouble. And you go, oh, no, easy. Jesus could have said they're all the same, at which point they would have come back and said, okay, so planting two seeds in the, in the same place here in the, in the soil is equal with murdering somebody? That wouldn't have satisfied them. So they're trying to trick Jesus into a question about the law. And Jesus says, Matthew 22, I'll start with verse 37. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and the first commandment. And the second one is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Do you catch that? Jesus was asked a question about law. Hear that? He was asked a question about law, about rules. What's the best and most important rule? What's the greatest commandment? Let's not just look at commandments, Jesus said. Let's also look at prophets. Now, I'm not very smart. Do you know why I know I'm not very smart? Because I'm 62 years old, and I always thought that verse was about commandments. I preached it many times. Jesus says, you want to understand the rules of the Old Testament? You want to understand all the, the biblical rules and the Ten Commandments and all the other commandments? They come down to these two things. First of all, things like have no other God but God, keep the Sabbath. That's all about loving God. Don't kill, don't steal. All of that has to do with loving others. But Jesus added something different. He was asked a question about rules, and he basically said, life is not about rules. I'll tell you what the most important laws are, but it's also important who you listen to. Prophets are just as important. And so Jesus says to them, basically, it's a battle for our minds. Because not only is it how we summarize the rules, but how do we summarize who is a prophet and who to listen to? Because if all I get is all the rules right, I'm not going to be a Christian in how I'm living because I can carry the wrong attitude with myself. C.S. Lewis talks about that in Screwtape Letters. 
In the whole dialogues with Wormwood, the little demon is trying to fool and make sure that Christians don't lead a Christian life. And so the, the devil is basically saying, keep those Christians busy. Just keep them doing things. They will think they're living a godly life. All the while, their heart's in the wrong place. They'll be judging people and having a bad attitude and treating people in ways that they shouldn't. To put it another way, I can do anything that looks good on the outside, but if I have a bad attitude and I'm not listening to the right things and my mind and my heart is not transformed, it's really, you may think that I'm being a Christian or you may think, wow, look at all the good things that Pastor Stan is doing, but it really doesn't matter because it matters what I've listened to and where my heart is. So if I go and any one of us go and work with children and all the while are just angry and frustrated over how come I'm losing all of this time? doesn't matter if you're following a rule. It's about our hearts. It's about who we listen to. It's about what we take into ourselves and how we understand our relationship with God and people. In 1 John, John is writing a letter and he says, you worried about an antichrist? <laughs> There's many antichrists. There's not just one person he's saying trying to deceive you. There are many who are trying to deceive you and have you listen to the wrong voice and do the wrong things and be motivated by the wrong, wrong attitudes. If that was true in the first century, how much more so is it true today? Jesus put it this way, beware of false prophets who are really nothing more than wolves dressed in sheep's clothing. Just because somebody's speaking something, just because they're the loudest voice doesn't make them right. Just because even somebody's doing something and it, you say, hey, well, they, they seem to be doing good things, so I'll listen to what they're saying. No, that is not the test. We have to listen to what's being said to us. If we want to understand what is biblical prophecy, what the biblical prophets will teach us, and what prophets today, if you're going to listen to somebody and you say, I believe this is God's word for me, it needs to pass the Jesus test. And that means the first thing is that prophets will help us love God. Prophets will help us love God. How many voices today are helping people love God? Think about it. How much stuff is out there just being spewed all over the place and say, follow this or do this or believe this or have this attitude, and none of it is drawing us to Christ. None of it is drawing us to have a better relationship with our Savior. We're going to see this with the biblical prophets. How one of the big desires they have is for you and me to trust God, to build our faith, to know that no matter what comes our way, that God is with us and we can get through it. And the Lord forgives us and the Lord wants us not only to be forgiving towards others, but to draw closer to him when we go through tough times. I think of the prophet Hosea. The prophet Hosea compares our unfaithfulness to having an unfaithful relationship with someone else. And he looks at the whole relationship that we have with God and says, you know, when we're unfaithful in how we live, it's really no different than to God in his relationship with us than if someone is unfaithful to us and the hurt and the pain that that causes in our life. But then Hosea doesn't leave it there. He says in Hosea 3.1, the words of God, in spite of that, I love my people. 
In fact, Hosea quotes God saying, I took my people into my arms. They didn't even realize I was the one who took care of them. In other words, the prophet helps us hear God's love for us. The prophet Hosea says, if you want to understand who God is, realize that, yes, you can make God, in human terms, feel really bad. But it doesn't negate his love for you. He adores you. He cherishes you. Your Savior died for you. Thus motivating us not to fear and be afraid of God, but to love God. The prophet wants us to have a deeper and a better relationship with God because that's what prophets do. They speak words to you and to me that get us excited about knowing that Jesus is our friend and our Savior. Amen? That's what a prophet is. Years ago, there was a there's a guy named Judson White. He was a hymn writer and an evangelist, and he decided to go to northern Ontario. So he took the train as far north as he could to a place where I'm told you couldn't take a train any further, and then he had to get on horseback, and he went to the lumberjacks. And he believed that it was his purpose to go and preach Christ's love and forgiveness and grace. And he went there, and he shared the gospel, and he told these men how they could give their life to Jesus and be forgiven for everything wrong that they had done, and they could live a better life. And two men, I don't know who else, but two men gave their lives to Jesus. One was my grandfather, David Stanley Mallory, and the other was his brother, Big Jim Mallory. They were tenderly understood that Jesus had a purpose for them. The prophet had spoken, and they understood that God cared about them. Now, I'm glad for a couple of reasons. One is there has been an amazing number of, of pastors and, and head elders in churches and Sunday school teachers and missionaries and doctors and all sorts of stuff that have been produced in our family, all because those two men gave their life to Jesus because a prophet told them that God loved them. But I'm also thankful because my grandfather thought, I need to find a church. And he went to the little Methodist church around the corner from where he was, and he met my grandmother, and they got married. You see, prophets want us to have a better relationship with God and understand who God is. Are those the voices you're listening to today? Are those the voices that are out there speaking? So many are not saying that. And then the other thing is a prophet helps us love our neighbor. That's what Jesus said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and learn to love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's the purpose of a prophet. And we discover that neighbor means everyone. Now, the Greek is really clear in this. It is an all-inclusive term for every single person to say everyone is our neighbor. So you may disagree with someone. You may dislike what somebody says. But a prophet wants you to learn to go beyond that and to build a relationship with them and to learn to get along with others and build bridges and be a reconciler in our world. That's why I love the story of Jonah. Again, a prophet. Good old Jonah. It, a lot hasn't changed since the thousands of years when Jonah lived. Jonah's living in modern-day Israel. It would have been Palestine at the time. And God says to him, go to Syria. So get, get the context here. You're a Jewish person living in a particular country, and you're told to go to the next country. So today, it would be 
a Muslim country and groups of people who do not get along well with each other. They didn't back then, and a lot hasn't changed over the years. And Jonah's told, go preach, go share the good news, because these people need to change, because God has a plan for them. And Jonah's like, I don't think so, count me out. And instead of going to do the work, Jonah gets on a boat, goes out into the middle of the Mediterranean, a storm comes up, he gets thrown over the boat, he gets swallowed by a fish, he gets spit back on the land, and now God says, now you just made it more difficult to yourself, you're still going to go and you're going to preach. And he does. And he shares with people that he doesn't like, that he doesn't want to think of as his neighbor, he learns that God has a plan for them. And we come to Jonah 4. And I'm reading from the message. Jonah was furious. You hear that? He's got prejudice. He didn't like these people. He doesn't want God to save them and to change their lives. He wants God to destroy them. They are an enemy of his. He lost his temper. He yelled at God. God, I knew it when I was back home. I knew this was going to happen. That's why I ran off to Tarshish. I knew you were sheer grace and mercy and not easily angered, rich in love and ready at the drop of a hat to turn your plans of punishment into a program of forgiveness. So God, if you won't kill them, kill me. I'm better off dead. God said, what do you have to be angry about? But Jonah just left. He went out of the city and went to the east and he sat down to sulk. And he put together a makeshift shelter of leafy branches. And he sat there in the shade to see what was going to happen to the city. Do you see what he did? He goes and he sits up on a mountain and he looks down and he goes, okay, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe God still will destroy this city. I certainly hope so because they deserve it. But God arranged for a broadleaf tree to spring up. And it grew over Jonah to cool him off and to get him out of his angry sulk. Jonah was pleased and he enjoyed the shade, and life was looking good. But then God sent a worm. By the dawn of the next day, the worm had bored into the shade tree, and it withered away. The sun came up, and God sent a hot, blistering wind from the east. The sun beat down on Jonah's head and started to faint. He prayed to die. I'm better off dead, Jonah said. Then God said to Jonah, what right do you have to get angry about the shade tree? Jonah said, plenty. It's made me angry enough to die. God said, what is this? How is it that you can change from your feelings of pleasure to anger overnight about a mere shade tree? And you did nothing to get it. You neither planted it nor watered it. It grew up one night and died the next night. So why can't I likewise change what I feel about Nineveh from anger to pleasure? Why, this big city has more than 120,000 childlike people who don't know right from wrong, to say nothing of all the innocent animals. And Jonah was confronted with who was his neighbor. And his message is, you want to understand God? Here's how you understand God. You have somebody you really don't like. God loves him. You have somebody in your life that you really struggle with. Jesus died for them. You have people that really frustrate you. They're God's children. The Lord chose to create them too. 
And our relationship is to listen to the voices that help us love God and build relationships. Yes, even the difficult relationships, not abusive relationships, but difficult relationships where we expand and can start realizing that that's the work that God does. Because that's the Jesus test of a prophet. So in the weeks ahead, I hope you'll take time to listen to the prophets. Not just because of what they say, because I'm hoping as we go through it, they will say things to us that will affect us and hit us where we're living today. But also so that we can start understanding who to listen to in this world. Amen? I'm going to say that again. We're going to listen to biblical prophets to hear how God really speaks so we learn to listen to the right people in this world. Amen? Because that's what we need to hear as Christians. Because trust me, there are people who are spewing all kinds of things in the name of Christ and trying to get everybody to believe. And the Bible teaches us that there is a test. There are things that prophets want. And in the end, they want us to love our Lord, our Savior, to have a deeper relationship with God and to build relationship with others so that they could come to that same saving knowledge and experience with Christ. And when we see things in others that trouble us, we start discovering that God's working to change it. And all of a sudden, we discover that God's doing stuff that we couldn't even imagine because you and I are not the only people that God's working in our lives. God's working in everybody's lives and drawing them all in. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, help us hear your word and help us hear that there are things that trouble us in this world. And there are words from you that want people to change, and there is absolutely no question about that. And there are people in this world who need to understand that how we live is not just self-centered, self-absorbed lies, but that your word comes to us to transform us. It also comes to us to comfort us. But in it all, it draws us to you, and your word helps us to learn who is our neighbor. Help us in the weeks ahead to be transformed by your Holy Spirit and to hear the voices and to be the voices that speak forth your truth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.